This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder, should veterinary practices sell products? The impact of retail sales on us. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we're tackling head on the role of selling stuff in our clinics. Should we be selling products? If so, what products should we be selling? And really, what are some of the ethical constraints and concerns around selling stuff in our clinics? But before we get into that hot topic, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And perhaps since the beginning of private veterinary small animal practice, and maybe even large animal practice, the concern and conflict and tension around selling stuff in our clinics, other than medicines and vaccines and the stuff we do as doctors, has been a sore spot with us. And we've seen this evolution wax and wane, and we've seen a, an era in the 80s where veterinary clinics became little mini pet stores. And then we saw sort of a backlash against that in my generation in the 90s and 2000s. And now we're kind of trying to figure it out for the next generation. So Cindy, let's just jump into this one. What do you think about selling collars and shampoos and non-therapeutic things in your clinic? You know, I think it's really interesting because as our listeners may know, as I was coming up through the profession, I actually started working at a pet store as a teenager. And that's how I fell in love with helping pet owners and their pets. Probably was giving a little bit too much advice. I had a good heart, (laughs) but didn't know better at the time. Um, So I I kind of came up thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be a practice owner someday who has a pet store associated with a practice. And then as I got more and more involved in practice, realized that eh, that might not be such a great idea. But I do think our clients really do enjoy the convenience of us being able to provide them some of the products that we are recommending that they use right there in our practice. So, so I do think there is a place for it. Well, Cindy, I think you touch off on the very first reason why we tend to sell certain things. That is because we want to provide our pet owning clients with the best stuff, right? I mean, it's it's really about a specific recommendation. And sometimes if you can go, hey, this is the best collar for Chloe, and here it is, that seems to make more sense and it's more ethical, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, again, you know, sometimes we don't know if we send someone to go purchase something somewhere else. We don't know if they'll end up getting exactly what we're looking for. I don't know. Have you guys either ever had that experience where you say, hey, um, how about you go and get this? And then you talk with a person later and, and they ended up getting talked to by the person at the pet store and ended up with something completely different. Oh my gosh. Yes. Especially when sticker shock happens to come into play, right? Right, If we don't prepare them for the cost of the product when they get to the store and they all of a sudden realize this is a 50, 60, $80 bag of food we sent them to pick up. And, you know, then there's kind of some backtracking involved. And then when somebody says to them, well, here's a similar product for half price, they're of course going to take that information and run with it because it's what they want to hear. Right. Well, Becky, let me get it from a veterinary technician perspective for just a second. I always ran my clinics with a small 
retail section. So we had the halters that we liked. We had the leashes that we liked. We had the the toys that we preferred. And that way, again, our veterinary technicians could go in the room and one of our doctors said, you know, hey, he needs this environmental enrichment. Here's a great tool. We like this food puzzle, whatever. Do you think that that A, is beneficial to the owner or B, is it more of a burden on the staff? Well, I think it's all about how it's handled. And I think it's, you know, what the belief and practice is behind the content. But, you know, I think from a compliance standpoint, you're much more likely to have compliant clients if you're handing them the product right then and there, especially when we're talking about behavioral tools. Right. And when proof is in the pudding, so to say, if you have a dog who, you know, pulls the client across the, the lobby and you go over and you grab a little halty and you show them how, how well that works and, and they're going to be able to control their pet a lot better on a leash you're a lot more likely to have them go out the door with it than they're not going to stop at the pet store always you know sometimes they might so i think from a compliance standpoint it's good it's just about how it's handled well cindy let's go back to that discussion we had not too long ago on production-based salary and if you haven't listened to that episode listeners i encourage you that was a super great discussion on one of those other ethical dilemmas in our profession but but let's talk about that for a second let's say now i'm the owner you know so i've got multiple clinics multiple doctors and i say you know know, here's the the best food puzzle. Do you as an associate feel compelled or pressured to recommend that same thing? I mean, yeah, this is where it gets a little sticky, right? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is, is I think often we end up feeling like, you know, we want to offer clients that convenience and they want that convenience, but we also don't want to feel like we're pushing something and making them feel like they only have one option. And we know psychologically that people need to feel like they have multiple choices before they can feel comfortable saying yes. And at least in my experience, I feel like when I let clients know, you know, hey, we have this here in the clinic, you can get it on Amazon too. And this is the cost that it is on Amazon. This is the cost it is with us if you want to take it home today. I actually have a surprising number of clients who are like, oh, okay, well, that's fine then. Let me just take it here today, even if it's more expensive here at our clinic, because they don't mind paying that little bit extra for the convenience of being able to walk out with it. Um, One of my favorite examples is my favorite uh, puppy training book, Perfect Puppy in Seven Days by Dr. Sophia Yin. Right, right. That's such a good point. I actually did that exact thing at the acupuncturist just last week. She sold me some probiotics and she started it by saying, you can look at some of the local stores in town. You can look at Amazon. This is what I have. This is how much I charge for it. It's totally up to you. And I was like, oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm fine with that. Just go ahead and sell me what you have. So I was living proof of that and make such a good point, Dr. Cindy. Okay. So I think most of our listeners are probably in agreement with us. Like when it comes to these behavioral tools, these environmental enrichment tools, you know, the things that sort of make life safer or healthier for our pet patients. I would even lump, you know, supplements potentially in there, but that we're okay with that. Cindy, where do we start to go beyond those comfort levels? Right. Like, because we're, a pet store has a huge number of things in there, right? Like, do we have scratching posts? Do we have catios? Do we have toys? Do we have um, right. I, I mean, it, it's amazing how much you can end up getting. Uh, right. And I think the first then one thing that is nice for us is that a pet store is generally going to have a ton of different options. You know, someone's going there to browse um, and to sometimes make choices on their own versus, you know, when somebody's getting something from us, we're generally making a specific recommendation and we've right. already chosen the thing that we like the best. So I do, do think that that limits our inventory. But that shows one of the downsides of deciding to do this too, which is is space, right? We right. do have to 
you know, have some space set aside for this, right? And, uh, and we forget that keeping all that inventory ties up some of the finances of a hospital. Right, right. So, so there are downsides. So as a, as a practice owner, where do you have to find that balance? Absolutely. And this is where it gets tricky because I will tell you years ago, we had a line of collars and bows that were super big sellers. <laughs> so we were making you know, a decent amount of money off of something completely unrelated to the health and well-being of my patients. And yet our clients were demanding it. Our staff was super jazzed about it. It was a headache for inventory, Cindy, which getting back to that initial point. But are you comfortable selling bows in your clinic to dogs? So when you were saying that, I was kind of laughing. But I think to myself, if it's making everybody smile and you're having such a positive reaction within the the staff culture and your clients are so tickled about it, I think that we have to take that into consideration. There is an emotional profit there as well. And I can't help it. You know, a little dog with a bow makes me roll my eyes but I still kind of snicker. I know. I love it. You know, and it makes me think about a cat patient of mine that came in and he had a Rebel Alliance bow tie on <laughs> and it was just the most adorable <laughs> thing in the entire world. And we all bonded with him and his owner clearly adored this cat. And it just reminds us that we are helping foster that human animal bond, right? And yes. so, it, you know, I guess if that bow is helping foster that human animal bond maybe there's a place for that that's exactly the rationale that i applied but later in my career i started to become conflicted over this because i said wait a second is it diluting or potentially diluting the medical impact that i'm trying to portray or present to the world right because here it's dr ward talking about all these advanced high-tech diagnostics and treatments you know you can come here and and have chemotherapy for your dog but you can also get a cat stroller? I mean, you know, where is that line? And that's that's where I think we start to struggle with the pet retail aspect. Now, Becky, let's flip this the other way. Let's do the art of war from Sun Tzu. Let's look at it from our competitor in this space perspective, right. the retailer. Now, the retailer should say, what business does a veterinary clinic have selling bows and baubles and strollers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I mean, we get really bent out of shape when retailers start to step into the veterinary space and and we quite liberally march all over the retail space and so I don't think there are defined lines and you know we really do look to them to stay out of our space and do we give them that same respect and Becky that's what I wanted to ask Cindy about because she's worked in both settings so Cindy have we somehow created conflict and competition with pet retailers by encroaching on their sales did this actually set up an adversarial relationship that perhaps doc human doctors don't have with like clothing stores. You know, and I think that's interesting because I, I, you know, when I worked in a pet store, there ne wasn't necessarily that feeling, I think, surrounding products necessarily. I did think it was interesting that there was that feeling surrounding food and we've had, you know, gobs of discussion surrounding that and, and the myths right. surrounding how much veterinarians do or don't know about nutrition. But I, you know, I think especially because that's such an important you know, financial driver bringing people into a pet store over and over and over again, that that becomes an area that people talk about it. Um, but yeah, I think, I wonder psychologically if it blurs the lines for pet owners, if they think, oh, well, my veterinarian is starting to sell toys and products and scratching posts. I, I do wonder if that diminishes the sense of professionalism, if by blurring those lines, they then wonder, 
well, why shouldn't my my pet store be able to give me expert advice about nutrition if my veterinarian's giving me advice about what kind of scratching post I should be using? Yeah. And Cindy, that's what led us to kind of get into the pet retail space, you know, creating things like Doggone Healthy, where we focused on all of the retail sales, right? So it's food and and bows and strollers and whatever else, right? Because, our, and again, I, I don't want our listeners to think that I just sold bows, but we told, sold things that we thought were benefiting our pet patients in the way that we thought. So get better choices made in the USA, yada, yada, we can go on and on and on. But we said, just like you're saying, and like I kind of led into that, that we didn't want to dilute our medical services with this potential conflict of selling stuff. Yeah. You know, and I guess what I think is is interesting is, I don't know. I wonder if pet owners also see it all as selling stuff anyway. I, I, I guess what was so shocking to me was working at the pet store where people were just coming in. They had time. They didn't really feel pressured. You know, they were just kind of browsing the aisles and you could come up to them and ask them if they wanted help assistance, like how much people would share about their cat who wasn't eating or their their pet who was, you know, leaving urine spots on the lawn and right. and or their fish who was sick. And, and again, it's shocking looking back on it. How many of these people probably needed veterinary advice and yet they were seeking information at the pet store. So it, I feel like there's something more we can do with that. So Becky, here, here, getting back to this initial dilemma, the human model evolved, human physician model evolved similar to ours, like way back, you know, turn of the century, 1800s, physicians sold stuff. They sold elixirs, they sold salves, they sold bandaging materials, they sold you stuff similar to what we sell, right? And then they gradually left that part of their practice behind to focus on the medicine. So today you don't buy your medicines at your physician. You don't buy anything, right? You get services. Right. Now you've heard people like me speak for 20 years, focus on veterinary services, focus on services is the only thing they can't take away. It's the only area that most of the world can't compete with you on. Now, Becky, do you see a time when going to a veterinary practice will be relegated exclusively to services and you will buy your medicines, your everything, you know, other outside of an acute setting, you will not buy that at the vet clinic. It's only services. Do you see that happening during your lifetime, your practice? So I think it's a possibility, but when I see it, I see it as a divide between the potential of retailers and the, and the potential of online stores. And I think that there's, um, you know, this movement for veterinarians and this possibility to be actually having your online retail stored and attached to your practice to where you can pull up your computer in the middle of a visit and say, this is the product we recommend. Here's an example of it. We keep one here at the clinic and we can have these sent straight to your house. And so we think that there's going to be, um, you know, a shift that goes either one way or the other, but that there'll be less and less in clinic just because, again, of space issues of inventory and, and the fact that you can be more effective and more efficient financially. Well, Cindy, you know, over the past couple of years, I've made a big deal about the quote unquote, as I call it, Walmartization and, cor and, and corporatization of our profession. Now, if you put a clinic in a Walmart, which of course is happening all over the country as we speak, that's now effectively putting a pet store in a vet clinic or a vet clinic in a pet store. How do you see the future evolving with regards to the pet retailization, <laughs> Amazonation, Walmartization of the profession? How's that going to impact this discussion? Yeah, you know, and it makes me think about telehealth. Because again, I, I, you know, you use that example of, you know, human health maybe having less and less 
to do with kind of selling products. But my own uh, general practitioner is the exact opposite example of that. So they actually have a pharmacy within my general practitioners. They have someone who does ultrasound. They have their x-ray. They have a lab inside of that facility. So I think it's interesting that, you know, not everybody is heading in that direction. Um, And in fact, they may be taking advantage of the fact that people want to have everything done within the same space. Like you said, even Walmart to some degree is trying to get everything done in the same space. Malls exist because a lot of people like everything to get done in, in one area. So we have cities because it's easier for things to get done when people are all in the same location. So I think that will happen online as well. I would be shocked if we didn't start seeing some of those bigger places like Amazon starting to get on the telehealth train right. with some of the services that are that are already starting to be offered in veterinary medicine. Well, Becky, I love this discussion and I want to twist it slightly one more way. What about the incursion of in-home or mobile veterinary services, right? I mean, you're not going to carry an entire pet retail store with you in your car or your van or your truck. So you're going to show up and do the services. Do you think that also will change the landscape of vets selling stuff in the future? Oh, it's such an interesting point. Yeah, because when you are mobile in your practice, which I have to say, you know, my mom uses a mobile veterinarian for her cats. And if this mobile veterinarian didn't come to my mom's house, my cats, my mom's cats would not get veterinary care. It's just how it goes. So I'm a big fan of these movements. And you're right, they're limited in space. But again, I think it, it, it brings that movement to the possibilities of online storage and and online backing for your own clinic. Um, but I, I think Dr. Cindy is exactly right. I mean, it's moving that way no matter what. And at the end of the day, we have to be meeting the client's needs um, with the best efficiency that we can. But when we're really just doing a good job with patient health and, and if focusing on retail and making sure we have all the products we need, you know, I, I think we need to be efficient with it. But I think there is um, I think there's we could be doing better things by just focusing on the medicine for sure. Yeah, you know, and I think it's interesting because even for some of these mobile veterinarians, um, you know, some of them have pop-up clinics at some of these facilities, right? Right, Like some of them are taking their van and they're saying like, hey guys, just so you know, I'm going to be at Tractor Supply or I'm going to be at Petco or, you know, they're, you know, uh, auctioning off their time to do vaccine clinics in some of these places. So I find that interesting that there's a little bit of interplay between that retail space and some of the mobile clinics that they're almost going to people where they're already thinking about their pets in the first place. And it's, again, fascinating that some of the products that these pet retailers sell, I mean, I've been in a PetSmart and seen an otoscope being sold. Like, it's, wow. it's really insane. Yeah. Well, and I think that's kind of a little bit of the scary part, right? And I think you're exactly right. And I think we need to really examine where our pride lines are laid down and and decide if, if we're better off for our patients working together than really worrying about who's got what and, and who owns what space. You know, we worry a little bit about um, when we think about big box veterinary medicine, but do we need to worry about it or do we just need to say, hey, the clients who want to go to Walmart and get their veterinary care, that's great. It gives me more time and energy to focus on the clients who want to come to me and have my type of medicine. I'd like to share a little bit of a global perspective on how this is playing out as well. When when you go to Latin America and specifically places like Brazil and Peru that have you know pretty decent or at least stable economies at this point, you start to see a, a clear divide in the marketplace. Some of the larger 
most successful, quite frankly, vet clinics are actually attached to a pet store. So they'll have two or three vets within this massive place. I mean, you know, I, I've, if you check out on YouTube, some of the videos I've, I've presented from Brazil in particular, but you know, these massive pet stores, they sell, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of pet food and other supplies. Those really do well. But now over the past five to 10 years, what I've witnessed in Latin America is this divide and saying, whoa, that's low quality. A better quality veterinarian doesn't sell you things. So you only come to me for my services. So there's actually been a bit of a quote unquote quality divide there. And I love, I love the pride lines that you just dropped in there, Becky, because you can see they're prideful of their services and quality. And they say, you can't do that if you buy your pet food here. So it's very interesting. When you go to Asia, you've also seen sort of a similar dynamic where originally the, the better or bigger, whatever vet clinics were selling lots of stuff. And now they're gradually shifting towards, no, we have a CT. We have ultrasound. We have surgery. And it's interesting because I think those pride lines happen in retail as well, right? So we talk about even for pet foods, where are you getting your pet food from? Are you getting the pet food from the grocery store? Are you getting it from a pet store? What is that saying about the quality of the pet food depending on where you buy it from? Where are different products available? Are they just available at a pet store? Are they available at a veterinarian's or are they available at Walmart? So I think that's really interesting. We are using kind of the location, the retail location to signal quality to some degree. Absolutely. And and that leads me to another really important point and question for for you and our audience. And that is, let's say you do want to select the best food puzzle or pet halter or or whatever. How does a veterinarian even go about beginning that decision-making process, Cindy? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think it's interesting because you've been to some of the, the, the pet world expos and some of these huge places. Yeah. I think you'd mentioned how so many products had said they were veterinary approved, and yet there were a few veterinarians in sight <laughs> right, at, right. at some of these events, which I thought was interesting. Um, one, I think it, it for a lot of us, it's starting with these companies reaching out to veterinarians in the first place, which I think is a little backwards. I, I would love to see us learning more. I, I don't know about you guys, especially having a background in the, the pet store industry. I, I stop into pet stores on a regular basis and see what they're carrying yeah, so that I know what my pet owners are seeing. So that's where I start. Yeah, I think that's a great bit of advice. So actually go to your local Petco, PetSmart, whatever, and just see what they're selling. You know, I've used, I've tried to position this to vets as a competitive advantage over time saying, look, if they're selling brand X, you need to sell brand Y. But Becky, again, getting back to that, how do you select the best products if you do want to do it outside of, you know, pharmaceuticals and, and, and medical devices? Wh- how do you choose the best? best collar. <laughs> oh man, I think that's a podcast episode in itself, you know. We've talked a little bit about that. And and for me, it's about trial and error, right? You you need to understand what it is that you're looking for in that product and and like you said, best practices for me, you know, is it made in the USA? What is it made of? What are the guarantees backing the product and and you know, what's the reason that we're selling it? I'm all about the why, you know, what is the why? Is this going to solve a problem, solve a behavior behavioral issue? Is going to improve the quality of the life of the pet that I'm trying to treat. You know, Cindy, uh, one final thing as we sort of wrap up this discussion, which we could go on and on. It's just a fascinating conversation to me um, is, okay, 
you know, there's also this sort of guarantee of quality. So when I sell a food bowl or a toy, you know, it seems like pet owners somehow think that I'm guaranteeing it for life. You know, I've had owners bring back, you know, Kongs three years later, say it's torn up. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, and of course we have to substitute it, but maybe that's a loss for us. But let's get back to that. When we sell something, we have to stand behind it. And is that also a barrier to potentially selling best products just because a vet's like, I don't want the hassle of having to deal with the return. There is a medical recommendation behind it in a way that a, a pet store cannot right. recommend, right? So God forbid something creates medical harm. That I think is a whole other level of liability that that we can't talk about. And I think Becky's point was so great, which is, you know, why are we recommending something? What is important to us? For me, especially with foods, I I actually have a list where I say, this is why I recommend certain foods. These are the foods that, you know, fit those qualifications for me. And I think we can kind of look at that with a lot of different products saying, you know, these are some of the puzzle toys that, you know, meet the meet the qualifications I'm looking for. And this is where I would get started if I were you. Yeah. So I guess if I had to summarize my attitude approach and practice today, it is a, I'm still very comfortable selling things like food, even regular maintenance diets, because I believe that is the foundation of good health. So I think it's, I personally think it's my responsibility professionally to, to give that specific recommendation, not just feed a good diet, but actually say, I think this diet is best for your pet. I think then when we extend over to environmental enrichment, Absolutely. 100%. I'm fully on board with that. And then finally, when it comes to these, as Becky called them, sort of lifestyle enhancing devices, something that enhances the bond. Yeah, I I like a, a couple of lines of collars. They're beautiful collars. You know, people love to put them on their dog. And I know if they put the collar on their dog, I can also have an ID tag, you know, in addition to microchipping, of course. But, you know, I think there's some safety benefits there. But, you know, I do draw the line like I don't sell uh, Halloween costumes for cats. <laughs> You know, so, so Cindy, can, what's your summary of where you are today, sort of in your, your belief on this topic? Yeah, I guess I fall on the side of if there's something that I recommend on a regular basis to clients, I think it's worth having in the practice or having a way to easily send clients home with that is kind of where, where I start or something that our clients are reaching out to us for us regularly. And then I I think we should be doing more to interact with the pet retail space to find ways to start sending them to veterinarians uh, at the point of contact where they're they're looking for that information. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point. And, you know, I think when I weigh in on it, I come from the standpoint of having to sort of go with what the clinic decides as a whole. But I think you guys have said it perfectly. Carry products that have a purpose that you know will improve the quality of life if they get into the hands of the client today and if you truly believe in them and make sure that they're products that you do truly believe in and you are willing to back up and make sure that they're retailers um, that, that you're willing willing to work with but Dr. Cindy said it well work with work with the organizations and retailers in your area know what products they have talk to them find out how they get educated and work together because it, it really is going to be the better thing for your patients well you've heard what we have to say now we want to hear from you what do you think about selling pet products in your practice what do you think the future holds and maybe if you're doing it today what have been your experiences please let us know 
Go ahead and take an Instagram photo of your top sellers or the craziest product that you have in your practice. <laughs> We're on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. We'd also love to hear your thoughts and comments on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. You also help other people find the podcast when you leave us a review on iTunes. So please take just a couple of minutes out of your day to leave us a review. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time. Bye. 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 Oh, I love that. I love that. That was good. Cindy, I think that was an excellent discussion. Hey, I thought I mean, it was so fun.